Okay. Thank you, Pastor Larry. Thank you. Okay, well, here we are again, everybody. <clears throat> We're going to continue on um, with part two of learning to be led, and um, I will not be, I'm, I'm going to kind of go through, leave some things out, because I know there's certain pieces that we need to spend a lot more time on. It's one of the things when I'm studying is I, I tend to, you know, the difference in me and pastor is pastor gets the exact word, and he'll study just that, um, and that's that's great. <clears throat> I tend to have the... Um, the, uh, the the liberty to take the word, study it all the way through, and and one of the disadvantages of that is you've got a ton of stuff to teach. So I'm going to weed through some of this, but we're gonna we're gonna pick up kind of where we left off. Um, we stopped at the Deuteronomy passage, and we were talking about how the plan of God is always leading us, no matter whether it's good, whether it's bad, we have to trust that God, when we say God is in control, those are, those are not words. Those are words that we live by. Because um, we, bread alone is not enough. Jesus said that. We're going to look at that, that whole passage. Um, but to, to get started, we're going to continue on with about how the book of Psalms is really amazing because it can be so personalized. And depending on where you are and the season you're in, these can really be used by God to encourage, lift up, and just, just be a, a personal source of strength for you as, a, as, a, as an intercessor. Because you can read some of these and go, oh, wow, man, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, okay? So we're going to start with Psalm 5. And I've added some additional things here, too, that you may not see on yours. But um, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. And this news feed keeps getting in my way here. Sorry. But as for me, there's the personalization of it. I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward the holy temple. I mean, that's a mouthful already there. And so you see that personal um, spin to this. There is an appeal for, um, um, it says mercy is a, a multitude of mercy. Thank God. And then fear comes into play. You know, fear of the Lord is a good thing. We don't need to fear any, any other person, any other thing, any other circumstance. We only need to be fearful in a reverential way towards God that leads to us worshiping in the, the holy temple. And then the, 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 the writer of this psalm says, Lead me, O Yahweh, in your righteousness because of mine enemies. So the context here is there are enemy forces around that are embodied in humans and there's a, this appeal to be led in the midst of that, okay? Now, we all know what this feels like. 
Um, whether you know you're facing someone that is the embodiment, the embodiment, I can't even say the word, the embodiment of Satan himself or any other demonic creature, there's always a tendency in the midst of warfare to get really, what's the word, soiled by what you're encountering. And, and I'm, I'm relating this to, it can it apply in a lot of ways, okay? But as a people of prayer, there are times when you face off with enemy forces that in prayer, as you are praying in the Spirit and you're moving in that realm, you encounter these creatures that will emanate evil at every level, okay? And then it's kind of gross just thinking about it, but these creatures, initially, all of the beasts in Scripture, you know it talks about the four living creatures and the beasts? They were all created perfect until iniquity was found. So a part of the, the third of the angelic creatures that, that the enemy convinced to go along with his evil agenda involves some of these beasts because in Revelation, it talks about beasts coming up out of the sea and coming and being released into the earth, and they're totally different than the way God originally created them. Because we know God created everything perfect in the beginning. And so I remember weeks ago, I started studying that, and I shared some of this kind of with Annette, but when you're facing off with these creatures, it, it's just, it just, they're, they're slime ball, it's slimy, it's ugly, it, it just, it can get, get next to you. So um, the sprinkling of the blood is, is a good thing to sprinkle on the evil conscience and just to be clean, you know, in warfare, it talks about our robes being washed, made white, you know, in, in the book of Revelation, and so necessary in warfare. So then there's this appeal to make thy way straight before my face. So there's this, there's this, why would the psalmist write, make something straight, okay, if it's not already, feels like they're crooked and they're facing off enemies, and so that is in this as well. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is wickedness, is raw, it's twisted. And it speaks to exactly what I was just saying. For their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. It's not a really uh, nice picture, is it? It's really gross, sickening, makes me want to vomit. Destroy thou them, O Elohim. God's heart can, can destroy these enemy forces. Let them fall by their own counsels. I think some of this is manifesting now in our government. I'm just going to call it like it is. Some of these brainiacs think they have it all lined out, how things are going to go and how it's going to work. And, you know, we don't need to be discouraged by the governmental influences that are out there. We need to continually remain devoted to intercession because what we do in partnership with God at the throne is going to act, anything that needs to be changed or transacted will be done through our intercession. That's it. There's no other way it's going to come. I don't care how many cabinets he's got. He can have 30,000 cabinets, okay, and all these representatives. If they are not listening to the Lord and 
and, and paying attention to what he's saying from the right hand, it, it's not going to matter. God is going to make sure that everything happens the way he's already predetermined for it to take place. That's just the way it is. No stress, remember? No stress at all. No anxiety. We, that's not our job. He is totally capable of doing his job. Why do we think we can do it better? Our job is to intercede, to hear, and obey. And as we do that, God does the rest. I mean, those three things, hear, obey, partner, intercede, all of those things, it's a lot. But as we, as we commit to that and we're devoted to it, no matter what we face and no, no matter what we feel in warfare, because things are going to get a lot worse. This is only the beginning of, of birth pains. The beginning. And as things start to get more grossly darker in the coming days, we are, we are either going to be overcomers or we're going to be overcome by the darkness. And I pray that it's the former and not the latter. I say that because I don't... We're in some darkness, but we have not yet encountered gross darkness covering the entire earth. Now, we know... We, we saw, we've seen glimmers of that. The pandemic has touched the entire earth, right? But there's more to come. The warfare that we see in Revelation is definitely something that we will encounter to some degree. No fear. Fear Him. That's it. It's, all, it's the only person on this planet we need to fear. Verse 11, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Why? Because you are defending them. He is our defender. We don't have to defend ourselves. I remember early on, many years ago, the Lord told pastors, said, don't, don't chase people, don't go after them, you don't defend yourself. Here we go. He's our defender. You know, we're, 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 we have the highest calling on planet Earth with what we're doing as intercessors, the greatest calling ever. No shame, no fear, because Yahweh is near. His plan is with us. His spirit is ever alive and breathing and active in all of us. And as we continue to commune with him, the breath of his nostrils is going to bring utter destruction, and it's going to consume things. And that's what the Scripture says. That's the language that's used. He will come to our defense. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, Yahweh, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass them with a shield. That sounds like a God that wants to take care of his people. And he will take care of his people. He knows those that are really his. He knows those that are just giving a bunch of lip service and, you know, they want to show up when they want to show up and do their duty, as it were. But then Monday morning all through the week, they, could, they don't even mention God. He recognizes those that are, that are truly devoted to his, his purpose. You know, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not. Other than the fruit the tree is bearing, 
You know, it's 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 okay to recognize that. It's okay to to learn to discern, you know, the righteous and the unrighteous and the wicked and those that are godly. It's okay to do that. We should. Those are good exercises that keeps our senses sharpened. Now we all know this psalm, Psalm twenty three, verses two and three. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. I think that word for lead there is a different one. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Who's doing the leading here? Is it us? Nope. No leading at all. I can't lead myself. Well, I guess I could. That's kind of weird, right? So we want him to be able to lead us in in those paths that are already mapped out, laid out, that have a well-trodden pathway on them that's in accordance with His righteousness. Psalm 27, verses 11 through 14. Teach me thy derrick, O Yahweh. Now, the whole title of this whole teaching here is Learning to be led. There are people in Scripture that are always referencing, teach me, teach me your, teach me your, um, your Derek, your pathway. Show me what that is. The fact that they're even asking for it means, I don't know the way. I need your help. I need, you ever felt that way? Man, I feel that way almost every day. It's like, man, what do I do here? You know, sometimes I don't, I don't think enough. Um, first of all, like uh, Kim and I were talking. She said, you know, I need to think about that the first thing, you know, how he needs to lead me. It needs to be the first thought that comes to mind, not, not doubt, not unbelief, and, or, oh, God, you've forsaken me. Oh, I messed up. I missed, missed the mark. None of that. He's always leading us. He will provide. He will defend. He will teach us the pathway. And then he says, Naha, lead me in a plain path. Now, interesting here. So the way there is Derek, which is a, the well-trodden pathway, but then the psalmist, whatever they were facing at this point, said, I need it to be a plain path, let, let, which would represent, let me easily recognize the pass, pathway. And it does have the idea as, um, you know, if, if I had a path here to the, um, the beach, I wish I did, I could see the footsteps, and it's well-trodden. We all, we all went down that same pathway, right? We came down from the house, and you could see the trail. That's the same type of terminology that's used here. And, he, and the psalmist is saying this, do this because of mine enemies. There's the enemies again. Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as they, they're breathing out cruelty. So the breath that's coming out of them is composed of cruelty. That's the essence of the breath. And then verse 13, this well-known verse that we all know. I had fainted unless I believed Armand to Ra'ah, the tobe of Yahweh. But it starts off the context teaching, leading me, a plain path, enemies, don't give me over to the, the will or the intent of mine enemies. And then it goes into this that says, I would have fainted unless I had believed 
what God has said it from the right hand, but ra'ah is involved here, seeing, being able to, you know, God, when it says God uh, saw something, it, it was ra'ah. He, he was able to look at it and go, that's the perfect purpose or the twisted purpose. So to, to believe to see something is our, our partnership in that twisted purpose or the perfect purpose. So that's, that's a really, really interesting term that's used. So what, what are we ra'ing? It's the, the tobe of the plan of Yahweh. But it's in the midst of all this opposition. It's in the midst of all of this, this outcry for teaching me your, your pathway. Make it a plain pathway. Let me, let me make, make sure, you know, it's kind of like putting the fleece out. Oh, Lord, I'm going to do this. And if, and if you, it's the same kind of thing. It's just a different way of doing it. And then he says in verse 14, oh, he brings in the word, wait on the plan. <laughs> oh, you had to mention the W word. Oh, you had to throw that in there, but it's all part of it. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the plan. He realizes, man, we, we're so prone to be so impatient, all of us from time to time, some of us more than others. But hopefully by this point, our apostolic is being developed in a, in a much broader sense, and we're, we're more patient now than we were 20 years ago. I, some days I wonder about myself, but I can't speak for you. Well, I guess I could speak for you. <laughs> oh, look, look at this verse. In Psalm 43, verses 2 and 3. Led by light and truth. Man, we speak that over our government. Man, let them be led by light and truth. Um, oh, send out thy light and thy truth. 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 Let them naami and let them bring me into thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Look at what light and truth does here. It brings us into a point of the, um, the I forget the uh, Old Testament word for holy there, but it's, it's definitely there, the holy hill and, 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 and a place of commune and fellowship and into thy ta- tabernacles. Really, really cool. Psalm 61 speaks of being led to the rock in the midst of the heart being, feeling overwhelmed. Let's read this. Hear my cry, O Elohim. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Now, when you look at that Hebrew word, it has the idea of feeling like you're clothed um, uh, 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 from darkness and you're you're feeling uh, uh, um, a a sense of being uh, languish feeling. It's really, really interesting because we are to go as light in the midst of what? Darkness. So that's the same kind of concept. Um, but in the midst of that, naha me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Here's the enemy again. So I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Selah. So there's the, the trust again. Enemy forces, the appeal for uh, guidance and instruction and, and making the pathway known and straight. 
And then in Psalm 73, there's this appeal by being led by the counsel of Elohim. Psalm 73, 15. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend. I may skip some of these. Let's go down. Let's go to 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Thou hast holden me by your right hand. Thou shalt naha me with your counsel. Now, the word for counsel here just means advice, deliberation, plan that leads to, um, um, to resolve something. So when there's this appeal for, for, for guidance here, for counsel, the psalmist is saying, I need your divine advice. I need to know your plan because I know it's going to bring resolution of some sort or resolve. That's critical for, for all of us. And afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? David Ruiz, the song. Remember the old one? And this is where it comes from. And there's none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart fails, but Elohim is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all of them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to Elohim. I will put my trust in Adonai Yahweh that I may declare all thy works. This is, this is a powerful psalm too. And it just, you know, we all know the term Adonai speaks of um, knowing our placement in the Lord and finding out what that is but he connects it to the plan of God. So I just think that's great. It's, it's great to draw near to Elohim. It's great to be in his heart. It's great. And then as we do that, look what happens. We put our trust in Adonai, Yahweh. We put our trust in, in what he's placed us to be and do and in his eternal plan. And then we can declare all of the works from that. That's great. That's a, that's a progression there. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, just rhetorically speaking. Has your heart been overwhelmed by darkness before? I think we could all say absolutely. Be led to the rock. These things are pretty simple. Don't let your situation lead you. I mean, we all... <laughs> Don't let circumstance lead you. Let his spirit guide you to the source of your strength. Go into the heart of God because that's where his breath, his burning breath there will just infuse us and keep us moving forward and keep us thinking correctly. Now, we all know what it feels like when we walk outside and we're not in Arizona. Okay, I'm making a point here. You go outside, and, it, and you feel this nice, cool breeze, and it's so refreshing, right? feels so good. That's what it feels like when you are in Him, spirit to spirit, and His breath just breathes on you, and it just comes into your mind, into your whole body and soul. You feel that refreshing. And it's like, 
I can think clearly. I mean, there's no confusion. There's no doubt. I mean, it's just, oh, it feels so good. We, we have to remain there. I'm not saying you're going you're gonna to feel that 24-7, but when you feel overwhelmed by whatever it is you're facing, darkness, your circumstance, whatever it might be that you know is not, it's not godly or it might be human, you know, it might just be you, get in the Spirit and, and pray in the Spirit and let His breath just consume you afresh. Because we get out of alignment when we get, when we get away from Him. When we stop interceding and praying in the Spirit, then we're more prone to think our own thoughts, to feel our own feelings. And, you know, it's really not about our feelings, really. Let's just call it what it is. It's about His feelings. It's about what He's thinking in His mind, what He feels in His heart. And that's, what we, that's who we are, what we become, and that's what we reflect because we're created in that image. That image of Elohim is imprinted on every one of us. It's in every person. It's just until they're born again, that image can't really, they really can't see that image within them. Created in the image of Elohim is such a powerful, powerful insight of who we are and who He is on the inside of us. I want to kind of scan through here really quickly. Led in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 78, verse 52. But he made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided Nahag. That's the other term. Guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led Nahag them on safely. And that's the word that just speaks of him being our, our place of refuge, safety or security or feeling a sense of trust so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. So here's another instance of being overwhelmed, but it's God overwhelming our enemies, which is great. And he brought them to the border of his sanctuary, even to this mountain, which his right hand had purchased. He cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance by line and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. But watch, watch this. But yet they tempted and they provoked the Most High God and kept not His testimonies. These are all warnings for us to not forget. Don't, while we're walking through a dry place or in a solitary place, it, it, the desert represents a lot of things. And Adrian kind of touched on some of the, um, the hidden sources of of uh, provision. Katie was singing a lot about it, and, and, and the whole thing is just kind of uh, all weaving together as one message, but um, we'll be tempted to provoke and do things that are, could lead to rebellion or resistance or bitterness. That's what the mara means, but let, let's, let's learn from this example to not do that. Let's learn to keep his testimonies like David had. What's your testimony going to be? According to uh, Acts 13, David's testimony was this. 
He was a man after the heart of God. That is exactly was a martyria after the heart of God. May that, that's our testimony. That we are people, we are men and women after the heart of God. Now, I've titled this next one, Psalm 139, Led by the Hand and Held by the Right Hand. Psalm 139, we all know this psalm. Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, you have searched me. Seems like somebody sung that this morning too, right? And known me, thou knowest my downsitting. I like that term, downsitting. Downsitting. Opposed to upsitting, right? And mine uprising. <laughs> You know I don't like to get up early, Lord, okay. You know my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. Oh, that can be scary, right, sometimes. Thou compass my path and my lying down. Wait a minute. What about that compassing my path? My path. He knows our path. Every single person in this room, he knows your next step. He knows two days from now, it's hard to fathom how he can know so much detail about us, right? But that lets us know, hey, no stress, let it go, anxiety, out the door, see ya, don't want to be ya, let it go. We, we just, we hang on to things because of our own insecurities and because our own lack of trust in Him. It's really, it's really us. You know, I can't, I, I try to blame the enemy because I don't want to take responsibility for my own you know, take my heart out and look at it. I'm kind of just desperately wicked, right? Jesus said that. And then he says, for there's, not only does he encompass our path and my lying down, but he's acquainted with all my ways, all your ways. For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Yahweh, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and you laid thine hand upon me. Wow, look at that partnership. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from your ruach? Or whither shall I flee from your presence, your face? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there too. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there... Your hand will naha me. Hang on a minute. Wait, did he just say that? I mean, the sea, if you're in the sea, he's going to, his hand is still there to guide you and to carry us and to transport us. And the right hand will hold me. There's, the, there's where that I pulled that from. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Whew, that's a promise for us. In the midst of darkness, the night will be light about us. You talk about light shining in the midst of darkness, that is it right there. Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to thee. Let that sink in. Darkness and light are both alike unto him. For thou hast possessed my reins. You've covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Yes, you are, Annette. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right. My substance was hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did, did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in, in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. And here's, here's another verse we all know. How precious are your thoughts unto me, O Yahweh. Excuse me, Elohim. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more in number than the sand. And we all should know that's quite a bit, right? Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> the sand and the seashells and everything that's on the beach. It's, it's vast. When, I, when I'm awake, I, I'm still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O um, Elohim. Depart from me, ye bloody men. <laughs> you bloody men. For they speak things wickedly against me, and thine enemies take your, thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. Let me know when you, when you have that definition, okay? What, what is perfect? Per, perfect. <laughs> perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O Elohim, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me. And then he, and then he concludes it by saying, Nahami in the way that leads to everlasting. There's, there's a ton of insight in there, but the point is we're being led by his hand and held by the right hand at the throne. So it might be a good, good um, exercise to go back and read that and really break it down further he knows everything about us. He knows where we're going, what we're doing. Whether you're at sea, we were there. Whether you're on the land, you're uprising, you're downsitting, you're whatever. All the upsittings, right? He knows our thoughts. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this next one, Psalm 143. This speaks of being led into the land of the upright. It says, hear me speedily, O Yahweh, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Here's the pits again. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way, the derrick, wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Yahweh, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. That's another question. Where do people flee for hiding? It's a common question. I mean, if you think about it, some people hide in their homes. Some hermits, they just never come out. Some people hide behind camouflage. They try to keep things from really being known to people out in public. You know, they're one way... At home, they're another way out in public. I mean, um, Declan may try to hide in a fort somewhere in a tree. I don't know. Closet maybe, Declan. <laughs> but we're, we're told here that we need to flee to him to hide us. We need his covering, which is really the breath of God. 
Then verse 10, teach me to do thy will. And this is where I kind of brought up in the, uh, the previous teaching about the, um, the instrument that's used, for, uh, it, it, you know, the, the, the rod is used um, as an oriental tactic for an incentive, you know, and, and they used the, um, uh, used the uh, utensil as a prodding thing and it had a pointer on it, kind of get the oxen to move forward. Man, that'll definitely get, get you moving to action, right? Sometimes God has to do that with us. And this is an appeal for that. Lord, help spur me on here. Help me to, to, um, to do, what is it that the, the psalmist is asking for? To do your will, to do the things that you take great delight in, those things that you're pleased with or things that, that bring satisfaction to you. Let me do that. Teach me that, though. It's a process. It's, a, it's learning how to be led. The way he's leading us now is a, little bit, it's a lot different than the way he led us 20 years ago. It's much different. It's much more, and I don't mean this bad. This may be a wrong term, but it's, 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 it's harder to discern the leading now. He's ratcheted it up a notch or two is what I'm saying. It's, it's kind of subtle in a good way. Meaning, you really have to press in to go, Lord, are you really leading me in this? You know, because I mean, we all know at any given point, if it's, if it's something that he wants to remove out of our pathway, he can do it. But most of the time, he says, uh-uh, no removal here. You go through the wilderness. You go and you'll come out on the other side a, a, with with a greater, uh, not a greater, a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a greater measure. It's not that at all, but it's, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll come up with a word here in a moment, but you, you, you move in a different way with him than you did before, had you not gone through something. For thou art my God, Thy spirit is good. There's that same Tob uh, Ruach. Lead me into the land of the upright. Quicken me, O Yahweh, for your name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. Now, he does want to bring our soulish part out of trouble. I mean, that's, that's definitely there. And of thy mercy, cut off mine enemies and destroy all that afflict my soul, for I am your, your servant. He will do those things for us as it relates to the soul. Now, I'm going to skip that next one. That's pretty straightforward, and I'm going to skip the one about being led by little, little children, even though that's there in Isaiah. Now, I do want to reference, I've already talked, to, I'm going to read this and we'll move on, about how he does lead us into darkness. And this is in Lamenta Lamentations of all books. Perfect place, right? Um, I'm lamenting. I am, I am the man, I am the man, that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. That's, that's Annette's next teaching, the rod of his wrath. He's led me and brought me into Hosak, darkness. And, you know, if you look at it, it depending on where you're reading it, it does reference darkness, but it also... It, 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 it means misery or destruction, can mean death, um, 
and in some cases it's translated as sorrow or wickedness. So he leads us into that. Makes no sense. I thought everything was supposed to be all rosy and peachy and always so good, right? This person who wrote Lamentation says, no, he, he, he led me specifically to darkness, things that were miserable, things that were destructive, death. You know, over the last three to six months, I've been taken into different visions at night, and I've seen this mass destruction in, in a lot of ways, and I've seen it try to come against the saints, specific saints. And some of, some of us are in this room and I saw in this destructive vision. The enemy was trying to take us out. You know, the Lord's leading us, but in the midst of the leading into darkness and destruction, the enemy's intent is just the opposite. He's trying to bring utter destruction. He's trying to envelop us into the chaos so that we become chaos. He wants people to become demonic sons. And some of our people that have left have said, okay, I'll join that army too. And they, they, they've welcomed doctrines of demons. So we have to be very careful. The enemy is not dead. He's got plenty of teeth. He's not going to gum you to death. He doesn't have teeth anyway, but you know what I'm saying. Some people say he's toothless and has no feet and arms. Yeah, been disarmed, defeated, and I mean, <laughs> it's a bunch of nonsense. When people start talking that language, they really don't know what they're saying. They're just, they've heard something that sounds good and they repeat it. The enemy is a spirit being, and he is, you can't kill a spirit being. Now, ultimately, we know where he is going to be confined. We know the lake of fire, but even then, is it going to utterly destroy him? How do you utterly destroy a spirit being? It's something to think about. We're spirit beings, right? Essentially, once we're housed in a body, we have a mind, soulish part. But eventually, the part that God created perfect is going to leave this body and go to be with Him. We're doing that now. So, we, we have a really unique calling to explain these things to people. Some people don't have a grid for, hey, wait a minute, you said I need to intercede at the right hand? What? How can I do that? I'm here on earth. Well, you don't understand how you're created. You're a spirit being. Your spirit does not have limitations. Your spirit can leave your body at night while when your body's in the bed sleeping, and you can be there. I can be there now. I'm teaching you. My spirit is there. So trying to explain this whole spiritual walk, it makes a lot of sense now to us. It didn't in the beginning. It didn't in the beginning, but you knew it was of the Lord, and over time, He's been teaching and instructing and leading all of us and giving us further insight and revelation about how to live in His realm, which is in His breath. If we can continue to do that, man, I love it when those times where, like I was talking about earlier, it's, it's like opening the door and His Spirit just, I mean, just overtaking my every part of who I am, body, soul, spirit, and 
and all I can, in my spirit, I feel a great awakening, but I also feel a great refreshing. It's just so refreshing when his spirit does this. And I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm totally alive in the, during those times. And I'm totally at peace. It's just his whole person just invades every fabric of who we are. We need to live in that type of commune with him continually on an ongoing basis. We will make it if we, can, if we continue to do that. Now, we're going to kind of move into the New Testament now a little bit. Before we do, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the, the disciples. They were few in number when Jesus walked the earth. We know there's 12 original apostles. All of these guys and gals, wait a minute, yes, Mary and some of the other ladies, yeah, there are female disciples and they can speak and do a it's craziness. It, um, Peter was very bombastic. He would, he, would, he would come to the forefront and be some of the first ones to say something or uh, some were kind of more standoffish. They had different personalities. And Jesus taught, taught them a lot about heaven. He taught them a lot about hell. Talked them just a lot of different things. And they were a close-knit community of, of, of disciples. And one of the things he told them in Mark 13 is he said, I'm going to lead you into certain places and around certain people. And I want you to be prepared. He does the same thing with us. He told them in Mark 13, verses 9 through 11, but take heed to yourselves, for they're going to deliver you up to councils and in the synagogues, and you will be beaten, and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. So we have to know that in this case, they were led to councils and into synagogues. I thought they'd be led to, you know, there are other, other cell groups of homes of other believers. And initially, that's not what happened. He's telling them, why? I mean, we have this, this thought process that wherever the Lord sends us or leads us, it's all going, always going to be just some little pleasant place, right? That's totally the opposite of the way he taught his disciples. So why, where does that thought come from? Everything's always going to be good, and if you and if it's not, you can name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, and you know whatever you can think, or just yours, right? That 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 whole humanistic theology is not biblical. None of us none of us want challenges, right? The human side to us, what what I just faced on a personal level, I'm just bearing my heart. I didn't want that to happen. None of us wants that. I don't care how angry I get, how upset I get, I cannot change the fact that it happened. It's, what happened last week is done. It's over. You know, we always say, okay, uh, Moses, tell the people what they need to do. Just go back and live in the past. Just go back and live there, right? Go back to Egypt. Just Yeah, yeah just go ahead and embrace that bondage again. Is that what Moses told the people? 
No, tell them to go forward. Simple. Don't stay in the past. Don't live in the past. Learn from it, but move forward. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what you are doing your best to do. God recognizes those that are, even if it is a, is a half step, that's, that's moving forward, right? It could be a quarter step. It doesn't matter. But we, we don't need to digress. We need to progress and move forward. So here they are. He says, you're going to be beaten. I'm bringing you there for a testimony. I've got something that I need to partner with you to release to these rulers and kings. And he says, and the gospel must first be preached and published among all nations. But when they shall lead you, this is the Greek word, go, and it means to, to bring or lead or to drive to something. When they lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you're going to speak. Boy, that just killed all of us right there, didn't it? <laughs> well, I need to prepare, right? It's not a lack of prepare, preparation. It's just there's going to be times where he's going to do things unexpectedly and put you in places and in front of people. You're not going to have the time to prepare. And that's what that word means, to be anxious about something way in advance. And he says, neither do I want you to premeditate. But whatever I give to you in that hour, then you release it. And it won't be you that's speaking, but it will be the saintly wind. This is part of the ministry of sons. is being available to be led wherever and to whomever he sends us. And being ready <laughs> to come up or wherever and not have anything, but to have everything. I mean, we're, we are so prone. We're plan, I'm not saying planner. Some of you are great, man. Planner, planner, planner. I mean, you've got, you've got every minute of the day mapped, every second of the day. And God forbid that he would want to do anything in the midst of all of that. And if he did, does, it just throws you into a tailspin. If that's you, this is going to really irritate you to no end, whatever you in this situation. And it, you know, it's God trying to train you. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to say, teach me your way, but every, there's nothing to be taught at that point. But when you're in the middle of something, he's going, I ain't you. I'm doing what you asked me to. Are you recognizing it's what he's asking us? Are you recognizing my leading? Mark. Lord, I have to be honest, I didn't recognize it initially, <laughs> but I do now. And... He does know the end from the beginning. He really does. You know, let, let's look at Moses just for a second. I'm learning more about Moses, some of these things that are occurring. Moses had some inca incredible encounters with God, right? We, we would all agree to that. He had some major challenges too. He didn't want to do what God told him to do in the beginning, right? He gave every excuse in the book. I can't talk. Okay, I know Aaron can speak well. That's what Yahweh told him. Aaron can speak well. He can go and do this for you. I'll give you the words. You give them to him, and he'll speak that forth. Okay, well, and then the next thing, Moses says, well, God, well, how are they going to know you sent me? Excuse number two. It's just on and on. Moses is just like us. 
He, was, he had to learn to be led by God's Spirit in the Old Testament. I mean, we know the difference in the covenants is the Spirit would, would, was designated for specific ones. Now there's no limitation at all to those that believe. And, but, but Moses... We know he made some mistakes, right? We know that he did some things where... Now, I, 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 you and I would have... You, you would have smacked that rock too. You would have got upset when he... You know, God said, speak to it. You would have tried to revert to the old way. You would have smacked that rock because you're dealing with all the people and, and all this stuff at the base of the mountain. God wanted you to just prophetically speak into the rock and he struck it and God said, okay, I'm not going to let you go in. Sounds kind of cruel, right? That just shows that when God tells us to do something, we do it. Don't revert to how it's always been done. It speaks to kind of the, what we were talking about earlier this morning is, but I'm, I'm not real prone to say what, oh, he, what are you thinking, Moses, you idiot? You should have known not to do that. God told you to strike the rock. I can say that because I'm not in the midst of that atmosphere and all that stuff going on. It's easy to say it when everything is great grand, but it's the, the challenge is when you're in the thick middle of it and you're to speak and not smack the rock. I mean, that's, that's, that is the challenge. That sets, sets apart the boys from the girls, the children from sons, the immature from the mature ones. We are the mature ones. Speak, don't smack. There you go. That's your next uh, lesson there. <laughs> Speak, don't smack the rock. No smacking zone. <laughs> I know we're being kind of funny with things that are not so funny, but God has a great sense of humor. But really, I mean, go back and study the life of Moses. And see how God led him and the people. See how he responded. See how the people responded. Or, um, I mean, all this back and forth is a, just a picture of, of uh, warnings and things, that we, the way we shouldn't do things. Now, let's look at Romans 8. We all know this passage. Romans 8, 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of Theos, they are the sons of God. question is, is the Spirit leading? How do you know when the Spirit, God's breath is leading you, and it's not you, it's not the enemy or whatever? It comes through relationship, hearing His voice. He will never contradict the Scripture. He will never contradict the Scripture. So if someone says, oh, the the Lord led, and people use this terminology all the time. Oh, the Lord led me to, to saddle up with an infidel. I'm using that same. Uh, is, is the Lord going to do that? No way. It contradicts the Scripture. So when someone says that, we immediately, uh, the, the alarms within our spirit, man, should go straight up. And we go, wait a minute, red flag. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. That's you, that's you. You are driving this thing. He's not driving you down that pathway. Or me. You, you might say, well, how do you know he's, he, he, 
he, he, he's doing this thing with the, the word thing. Well, again, it goes back to trust. Do I believe that God is dictating the, the steps of a righteous man or woman? Are they ordered of the Lord? Yes, I have to believe that. Otherwise, I might as well just walk away from him and say, forget it. You know, I don't know who's leading. We just have to believe certain, there's certain principles that are, um, if he knows our thoughts, he know, we already saw, he knows our down-sitting and our uprising and our in the sea and all over, going, you know, in hell or whatever. He knows everything about us. And if he's got our best interest in mind, he doesn't want us to fail and he's not going to leave us, I can trust him. We can trust him when we can't even trust ourselves and other people around us. Because we are just so prone to think we've got all the answers to things, and God's going, okay, go ahead, do it your way. Have it your way. I'll give you your own delusions. I'll, I'll let you go over and have, go into being a reprobate mind and thinking a certain reprobate way. He, he'll, he lets people do that. I didn't finish the Isaiah 66 passage, but um, it talks about what he's looking for, Yahweh, but then it talked about the people that were engaged in the abominations, and he said, I'm going to give you what you, what you wanted. I'm going to give you your delusions. I'm going to give you the fears that you had. Go back and read it, verses 3 and 4. People chose that pathway, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. He's not going to strong arm us. He's not the strong arm that dude in Texas, that lawyer. God doesn't work that way. He lets us choose because otherwise it's not a partnership. It becomes more of a dictatorship, and God is not a dictator. We choose. We choose to be born again. It doesn't happen automatically just because you're Catholic. It doesn't happen just because you're within a certain denomination, you choose to be born again. There is an action on our part, putting our faith and trust in Him and what His sacrifice that He provided. Then we're born again. I don't know why I went off on that trail, but there's, there's a lot. It's just part of leading, leading and learning. Now, this is, this is the brunt of where we're going to finish the rest of our time. Here we go again. We got to go. I thought we left the desert. You know, we've done it 40 days already. You know, it's, it's time to get out of there. Jesus was led by the breath into the wilderness. Now, we're going to look at every, uh, we're going to look at Matthew's account, Mark, and Luke, because each one of them has a different um, view and angle because they're different writers. So, in the description of Matthew, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, says, Then was Jesus led, and that there's the uh, anego, and it just means to, he was led up of the pneuma into the wilderness. You know, and based off, you know, other, other writings, pastor's book on front of the bridegroom, you should know that that is a lonesome, desolate place. It's also translated as waste place. Um, when you study it in the Old Testament, the desert. So why would, why would, God the Father send His Son into the wilderness. What's the objective? Sounds pretty cruel to me from a human standpoint. To be tempted of the devil. That's the overall intent. It's so strange. It, just that, why? I mean, why can't He go to the... Um, the oasis or something like that. Why did it have to be in the desert? I mean, 
There's a lot of reasons why, but I mean, you just, you just, you start thinking about what's the intent of God for, for a son in this environment? And there's other verses that should come up about the wells springing up and the rose of Sharon is there in the desert. And so in verse 2, it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, so now he's been in this, in this lonesome place led by the Spirit for 40 days. Now, we don't know. Listen, we don't have a daily account of everything that took place. We don't have the details. I started thinking about that today. I thought, well, wait a minute. 40 days. Well, it's been great to have a chronological, you know, day one, day two. What happened here? So what do you think happened on day one and day 40? Now, we can infer based off of what we see in this, some things that happen. But a lot of that didn't happen until after the 40 days had concluded. And I hadn't thought about that that much. I thought, wait a minute. I've always thought, well, this happened during the 40 days, but it doesn't say that. It says after the 40 days, then the enemy comes. So let's read this. After the 40 days, he was hungry, and when the tempter came, the first thing that he said was a conditional term targeted at his identity as the son of God. So it's, it's targeting sonship. And we all know that Jesus, you know, he was perfect in all his ways. So he, he's functioning and telling us how we need to um, um, respond in the midst of intense warfare like this. When we're in these solitary places... It's not just a wilderness, okay? It can be. You could be up in the northeast corner of the United States in a solitary place. You could be down in South Texas. You're all alone. You're in a solitary place. It probably feels like a desert too there because it's so hot right now, but you get the point. But it's in that, it's in that context where you might feel the weakest physically, in this case, hungry, that God allows the tempter to come. God could have said, forget it. Nope. He's at the weakest point. I don't want the enemy coming. But he didn't do that. He allowed the tempter to come to him. And he said, if you're the son of God attacking his identity, command these stones be made bread. Look at the enemy. He obviously knew that Jesus had not eaten anything, right? Because he's saying... Hey, take this stone over here, transform it into something else, make it into bread. Sounds like a good argument to me, right? I'm I'm hungry. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Jesus turns and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3, speaks of the same concept to the, the, uh, the people of God, but it says every, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord or Yahweh. And so I've, I've added this on mine here. So stones to bread. Bread alone is not enough to live. It's necessary, but by itself, it's not all that we need. Even in our weakest points, we still need Every word that comes out of the mouth that's connected to the plan of God. That's what's going to cause us to live. 
So mouth of God, New Testament, Deuteronomy 8, mouth of Yahweh. Bringing those two together really, so you're going to gain some words that are coming out of the mouth of, of Yahweh that's in accordance with his plan. That's going to be amazing. Got to keep that in the forefront of our thinking. But remember, remember, you're going to be at one of some of your weakest points. It may be physically, but it, it could be in other ways too. But the tempter will be allowed to come and attack our identity as sons. I know some people will say, and I've had this happen over the number of years, and they go, well, is, do you have any examples of where the disciples, um, where this happened with the disciples? I said, oh, this was for Jesus. Oh, really? You think it, we're, Jesus is our pattern, right? Oh, yeah. Well, what's wrong with us applying this to us? He's our pattern, right? So I just bring that up to go, some of the nonsense that people think, it's crazy. We are, on, on one hand, they'll say, to be like Jesus, right? No, they even sing it. But then when you say, we're going to be like him, they try to, the enemy gets in here, and just because they never heard it taught like that, they start going, well, hey, give me some examples where the disciples um, function this way. And I'm only bringing that out because it just sounds good. And it's really good for us to hear it over and over again. So here we go. Let's go through this progression here. He's led of the breath into places, or, or I'm applying this to us now. We're going to be led of the breath in the places of his choosing. It's going to be lonesome. It's going to feel like you're in a waste place. It's going to feel like you're, you're in an empty expanse, which is kind of what that, what that word means for wilderness. If you study all the derivatives, um, it's, it also can mean the actual root word. It goes all the way back to chasm, and it means an impassable interval, um, huge open, open space. We're going to be tempted of the devil. The tempter will be allowed to come at our weakest point. We're going to be confronted about our identity as sons. We're going to be tempted to use our authority in, in wrong ways by changing, making stones into bread. There's a beginning of this thing and an ending. Thank God. It's, it's, it's not forever. The angels will come to minister to sons. We'll see that here in the other one. The devil will leave, thank God. But we're going to come out in the dunamis of the breath of God, according to Luke 4, 14. Function, new function will come at the end of this thing. And then we'll see here in Luke how we're going to be teaching in the synagogues. It's right after it. So let's, let's look at Mark's description real quick. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and he baptized of John into Jordan. Straightway he comes up out of the water, the heavens are open, and the breath descending like a dove upon him. A voice from heaven saying, You're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately the Spirit, or Numa, drives him. The drive here is ekbalo, means to eject. It's, it's very forceful. Into the wilderness, he's there for 40 days, tempted of Satan, but then there's wild beasts that are there, and the angels minister unto, unto him. So that's where I'm getting the, the angels ministering. Now, Luke. Luke 4, 
1 and 2. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days. He didn't eat anything, and when they had ended, he was hungry. Now, I didn't put this verse on there, but it's verse um, Luke 4.14 speaks of him at the end of this temptation, after the devil leaves, the angels come and minister to him. Then it says he returned in the dunamis of the breath. New function, not new for him because he was operating in perfection. But he stepped into something that was part of the Father's plan for him. For us, it is a new dimension or experience of functioning because that's what dunamis does, right? People that, when, when the dunamis is applied, somebody's healed, power of the Lord's present to heal, cause people to function the way God intended them to function. Physically, spiritually, or in whatever way they need to function. But that's the objective of dunamis, to bring function. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, yeah, you guys, I did that for the kids over here. Does this make sense? Okay, so, all right. Now, Jesus was led into the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, the language is not used, but the principle is here. Where's your garden? Where's your Gethsemane? Where's mine? He's our pattern, right? It's the place of pressing where the oil's pressed. And the, the origin of it, it refers back to the Old Testament about the, uh, the wine press where they, they pressed out the, the, the grapes and got the, uh, the juice. And in this case, the place of pressing is where the anointing is going to be. You're going to receive something fresh. This is not very um, pleasant. But and they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I go and prosukamai. And then he goes through this whole, I'm not going to read the rest of it. The whole point of it is, we have our own Gethsemane that we all have to face. It's going to hurt like the dickens. Pressing is involved. But oil is going to come out of that pressing. To be like Jesus, Gethsemane is a requirement. Some people will take that and go, oh, that's not what it says. That's what it says. You want to be like Jesus, right? Was Jesus in Gethsemane? Absolutely. I'm not saying we're going to the cross, but we do bear our own cross. <laughs> These people, they don't read the whole council. They don't read the whole scripture. And a lot of this stuff is, is experiential. You have, to, you have to walk through this and become it. What, you know, walking in the breath, what does that mean? If you walk in it, he says you need to live in it. So we walk in and live in it. The lifestyle, right? We, and, and we're learning in that walk, in that living in his breath. Paul and Silas. Thrust into the inner prison. The whole principle here is they were led to this place. Now, I know that there were other individuals 
involved in putting them here? Remember, God oversees everything that we encounter, right? They made the most of this, right? I mean, they really did. I don't know about you, but it'd be kind of hard for me to praise God while in my hands, everything, my feet are in stocks, and I'm in the inner prison, and it'd be tough. It's tough. I mean, we talk about doing that, but we don't have those chains. We're not in prison. We're free. So it's really not the same. We like to think it is, but it's really not the same. How many stripes have you had on your back? How many stripes have I had on my back? And then told Pastor Larry, Mark, any of us, you can't speak nor teach a name anymore. I haven't had any of those laid on me. So what they faced was horrific, but it was a beginning point. But we, we just have to know that no matter where we are, there is purpose in the pit, there's purpose in the prison, no matter where we are at, God is directing every step of our path. And here we have Peter in prison. Now, those of you that sleep hard, you're in great company because Peter had to have an angel really strike him very hard, smite him on the side to wake him up. Here he is in prison as well. But guess what? The church realized the importance of prosuke, and they were praying without ceasing for him to be released. And they were amazed when he, was, he showed up at the doorstep, right? The angel woke him up. But the point of all of it is this. Don't fret. Don't be so out of sorts when things start going kind of haywire. Just know God's, God's got everything in total control. And I say that not knowing what's going to happen. I really don't. I mean, I'm standing here before you living what I'm teaching you and just trusting. No matter how dark it gets, always trust in Yahweh. His plan, He will never lead us astray. We may, <laughs> we, we may not understand it fully, but as long as we stay connected to Him, he will help us. And I think I'm going to... I've put the, some other things there for you to kind of study. And I threw in the spirit of truth just as a way to show He is our guide. He is our guide in this process and leading us into the truth and will show us the way. And then there's some other usages of Another Greek term, and then there's some other examples. Um, you know, David. I want to mention David because I mentioned him earlier. David was a man that was after God's heart. It's hard for me to fathom how someone can already know our mistakes, things we're going to do, do wrong, and still go, I still see the heart of the person. They're after my heart, even though, but so many people focus on the, the bad things that he did. What about this? We know King Saul was chosen by God. He was chosen to be the king for that time frame. 
David was, was anointed to be the king after Saul, but he was to stay underneath his authority until God got ready to promote him into that position. He stayed under the authority even though Saul had a javelin and was trying to kill him. It's very interesting because when you go back and you read, the Spirit of God would come upon King Saul. It says this. He would prophesy. And then all in that same passage, same verse, it says, then all of a sudden an evil spirit comes and he's got a javelin in his hand. I don't know how many of you, but I don't sit in my room with a javelin going ready to nail somebody against the wall. King Saul was, how can the Spirit of God move upon someone and they move in prophetic ministry and then in the same, same verse say an evil spirit and then he's got a javelin ready to kill the guy. He stayed under, underneath authority when he could have easily said, you know what? Forget you. I'm the king and usurped authority, but he didn't. Was God in all of that? Absolutely. Again, perspective, how we view things can be so skewed. And I know every person in this room wants to be led by the spirit of Elohim, the spirit within the heart of God. You know, when, you, when you're trying to teach people what the heart of God really is, his heart's real. His heart is beating on the inside of us. We were created with that heart and that image and that likeness inside us. And when we're born again, his heart comes alive. And at that point, when we begin to intercede, we can feel what his heart feels for. We can feel the desire that's there. Don't, you don't have to see it. You, most people aren't going to see that. You can feel somebody's heart just by talking with them. You know, my wife, I know her heart. I, how do I know that? I don't see your heart. We just talk and converse, and what she shares, I can feel that. And that's how it is being in the heart of God. And when David is identified as that, you're know, you know the feelings that are that, and, and the desires that God wants. He wants everybody to become an intercessor. He looks. He wonders that there wasn't that. And then he brought his, his right arm, brought, he did something, moved him to action. And then he gave us the model of his son. And I mean, it's, it makes sense, but sometimes people just, they get their, I don't know, too, too analytical, too analytical, trying to figure it out with their own brain. And their spirit the whole time is, is leading them. So maybe you've thought, hey, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm really not that certain. I know what the heart of God in me is. It's about what he feels and, it's the, and, the, and the desires and the things that, 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 the passion that's there and things he delights in is in his heart. And he shares that with us. So what is God desiring to do in our country right now? When we go to prayer and we pray in the Spirit, He starts to share with us those things. You know, I shared something this morning with you guys about Yahweh looking to this man or this person am I looking. Someone that's poor, that recognizes they're absolutely destitute and in need of me. Contrite, trembling at my word. He is, He looks intently at that. And He will visit people like that. If you're prideful and you're arrogant and you're all that and you think that, he's not looking at you. 
Anyway, I've kind of belabored that, but when the lights are flickering there. Is that Annette's finger? Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. The old lizard, all right. We know um, the old scaly one. So anyway, thank you guys um, for letting me kind of babble on here, but um, just some things, to, a lot of stuff to think about. Don't, don't be led by your emotions. Don't, Mark, don't be led by your emotions right now because it's so easy to do. Don't be led by your own thinking, your own ingenuity. God, that's one thing, God, Moses, let me, this is the last thing I'll say. Moses was so trying not to do what God said, called him to, to do. He even said, God told him, he said, Moses, I will, I'll tell you what to say. I'll show you what to do. He's telling him, you don't have to do anything. I'll tell you everything. I'll show you what to do. Moses kept still going, well, Lord, well, how are they going to know you, know you sent me? And he references the rod, and he shows him some supernatural and crazy things that, that were relevant for the day. This is how they're going to know. And God told him, he said, he's gonna, Pharaoh's going to let my people go, and he didn't tell him when. Imagine, hey, first time he tried it. Oh, it didn't happen. He probably got discouraged, right? God didn't know what he was thinking, right? God never told him when. He said, I'm going to do it. And that's the way we need to do it. God, just don't, don't try to figure it out. Because I'm telling you, we can, we can really mess things up if we, if, we, if we do that. And there will be consequences if we act inappropriately. You can't go into the promised land. Because God demands obedience. He's, he's not into sacrificing anymore. I'm glad because it would be really bloody in here right now. <laughs> if we had to do what so anyway, I my prayer for all of us is Lord help every saint in this room continue to learn to be led only by your breath. We know that's a challenge, and we know we screw that up many times in our walk with you. Forgive us for those times where we've leaned, leaned more to our own understanding and not your understanding. Guide us as we move forward as a people and help us to discern quickly the, the, the leadings of your spirit as you move us all forward in your kingdom. And ask us all in Jesus' name, amen.